This was our pilot series on our 20 by 23 project to visit 20 homesteads in 2023. I'll explain more later, uh, but I visited my friend Joe Singer's house to make some deer sausage and catch up on lots and lots of stuff. Please excuse the audio quality at some parts. I'm still working through the finer details, so let's go. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. for Montana left family and friends all I got now is you we both got new jobs a host and a homestead thinking this was the life all that there'd be after our firstborn you had to stay home that's when the work got in the way for me well, I started farm hop life. You'll come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and there will be. The only thing I was going to say is we could call this. Sausage and shop with Matt and Joe. <laughs> Talking shop, sounds making good. sausage. That sounds good. Yeah. Sausage party. Oh. <laughs> I'm leaving. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I am Matt of A Farm Hop Life, and I have, I'm over at Joe Singer's house today. Grazing Rome. Grazing Rome Farm. Very first interview. Very first tour. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I have a neck here, and you've got, looks like a quarter, rear yep, quarter. Hind so, quarter. Um, you, I, you said you were going to grind all of this, right? I'm just going to grind it. We're big breakfast sausage people, so. Okay. So. Hack and. I've got uh, three tubs set up. Uh, one, I, I'd suggest the middle for non-usable, so that's like dog food. Okay. The other two, on the right and left, we can use for the grind. The dog food is like bloodshot. I don't know if this is, that meat is bloodshot or anything with dirt on it you know just that is off. a little bit of char from trying to get hair off oh okay. i did okay. um as much cleaning mm -hmm. as i could with a hose and i could not find my torch and so i ended up using a little camping burner. oh yeah sure sure but uh like this 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 actually has the esophagus still in it yes it, i did not pipe. trim that very well so i thought no it's fine the windpipe not the esophagus but um so i'll just start working on that and carving it out um what about size do we care right now uh it, we're gonna have multi-step process uh, so waxy fat like this also no good okay it's real heavy the thin stuff you know like white the silver skin if you can get silver skin off that's great you know as you're going if you want to pull that off it makes sure. it, it makes it a tidier product all right um all this white cap this this hard stuff carve all that off and then you, you know you'll leave a little meat on the back and that's fine that'll be the dog food pile okay so this actually isn't any good see no. i thought this was good no okay it, i haven't made sausage it's like a, waxy a long fat. time so you're just going to come in with your blade and just try to get as little meat as possible but you're going to take all that fat off and once sure. you have it once you have it open then you can kind of run your blade under yeah and just sort of glide 
and you're going to waste a little bit of meat. It's just it happens. the nature of the process. Yeah. I'm so, going to try one of your blades. Sure. I've got two. They're both boning knives. So Whatever one you the, don't want to use. And I've got uh, stones and I've got a steel here. So as, as you feel it get dull, okay. make sure to let me know and we'll throw it on the steel and keep you in business. <clears throat> so, Joe. Yeah. Happy 2023. Hey, thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, how was your 2022 for production and whatnot? Well, uh, started off really good. We were, we put our, we, so our, our farm, just to recap, uh, we do birds and beef. So that means uh, we have British white cattle that we raise. And then we also have um, meat chickens and laying hens that we raise all on pasture. And um, last year we put our order in for, I don't know, what was it, 1,000 meat birds to, because Montana has a 1,000 bird exemption, I could process up to 1,000 chickens for meat consumption to sell without having to use an approved USDA processor. Most states have been doing that forever, but Montana just recently adopted that policy, so it was my first opportunity to do that. Um, the chickens showed up, you know, like they're supposed to. Um, the layers, we overwintered 400 layers uh, from 2021 to 2022, and I built a really nice um, hoop house uh, for them to, so they could still be out ranging around on, on ground, you know, and I'd throw bales of alfalfa to them and whatnot to give them something of interest while the ground is frozen. And uh, we actually kept egg production up pretty darn good. I was very happy with about 40% lay rate, which, you know, we don't have electricity out there, so I'm not running artificial lights or doing anything to boost production. It was just whatever they wanted to do me, do for me. Sure. That's what we took. And um, mobile, hoop, mobile uh, chicken coop that would typically run on pasture was their roost room and uh, egg laying room. So they had weather protection for all the functions that they needed. And if they really felt like it, they could go outside, out of the hoop house, and um, you know they had, a, they had access to an acre, a full acre, uh, fenced-in acre, and they you know, roamed around as much as they felt comfortable. So it was a great first winter with our layers. Um, we, we didn't lose any until spring kind of crept up on us, and the weather started getting nicer. Um, we had some foxes encroach. We had some aerial predators come in, um, again, as the weather improved. And so we had to change some of our procedures and things like that, you know, locking them up at night. But before I would just let them roost and uh, the predators couldn't figure out how to get into the roost. So it worked out, but then, I don't know, something changed. Anyway, so we had a good learning curve. Um, we learned a lot, made a bunch of money off of eggs and um, sold, um, I don't know, I forget, I kept track. It was, I was getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, no, 70 dozen? No, what was it, 300 and, 360 eggs a day. <laughs> so 30 dozen a day uh, during peak, peak over the summer and it was just fantastic. We found ad, you know, found customers for all the eggs. I was selling out every every week. Um, 
And uh, most of that business was up in the Missoula area. So the Valley, I had a few local small family customers that I deliver um, product to every week, um, kind of door to door, you know. And um, then we uh, had commercial customers. So we had restaurants, uh, bakery, um, didn't do any grocery. We started out that way, but we got out of that real quick because they're kind of a pain in the neck for me. <laughs> um, but the, the direct customers were fantastic. All of our restaurant customers were really great to work with. And as their sales increased, our, our sales increased with along with them. So it was neat. And um, we had a pretty good season from a layer standpoint. Um, and then all, well then, then we had the meat chickens showed up in March, the first batch of chicks. We were okay, gonna... this was a, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. There was a, this was a debate that we had during our interview. Yeah. It was Red Ranger versus oh, Cornish Cross. Right. So what'd you decide? So um, I had done Red Rangers in the past and had, I, I followed their, their gains and losses and whatever and, um, Based on the timing, I decided to go with Cornish Cross because I didn't... Okay, let me back up. I, I was approached by a local farmer, uh, a vegetable farmer, who wanted me... He found out about my business through the grains, the uh, Rocky Mountain Grains in Hamilton. We, we were both grains members, and so we started, you know talking about our different operations and whatnot, and he was already buying my eggs for his uh, weekly CSA. Oh, cool. So it was a nice relationship already, um, and then we started talking meat birds, and he thought, man, this would be kind of a neat opportunity if I could get your meat bird fertilizer on my pasture, because uh, anybody who who uh, pays for fertilizer out there in uh, the world knows that fertilizer costs skyrocketed last year well, oh, yeah. for two years and then they continue to go up. Um, and uh, so he was thinking if he could get natural, he's, he's an organic farm, so if he could get natural fertilizers uh, and not have to pay for them, you know, that's fantastic. He's the kind of guy who he'll go buy 50 old rotten brown bales of hay and then unroll them on his oh, fields cool. yeah, and then I like that. let them mulch in and whatever. So he's adding carbon that way. Um, he doesn't use any chemicals over there, but he does uh, use all kinds of kind of the classic ways of adding carbon to your to your land. So running live chickens right over the land is kind of an interesting idea. And he had one acre he'd let, he thought we'd experiment on. So I said, yeah, that's and and because it was a partnership where he was saving somewhere in the neighborhood of I think he said between six and eight thousand dollars in fertilizer on that one acre. He decided that he would uh, cover the cost of my, uh, my my chicken tractors. That's the word I'm trying to come up with. He would pay for the chicken tractors because I told him I did not plan to be as aggressive on the timing as he needed. He, his growing season was May to September. Yep. I planned to run them April to October, and so that losing those two months on the beginning and end compress my time schedule to get my thousand birds so we had to up the individual batch sizes of the birds so that required a different piece of infrastructure in the, in the form of a chicken tractor that could hold you know 75 birds compared to my 33 bird chicken tractor idea yeah so 
he, we, we came to terms, we had a, a written agreement. His, um, I would be responsible for the birds to purchase the birds themselves. His employees would manage the feeding and daily moves of those birds. Uh, after, of course, I trained them how to do it. Sure. And um, the agreement was struck. So the first batch of birds, I was really excited. It's just across the valley. It's about a 15-minute drive from here. Um, I, I am not, I, I do not have a shortage of land, as you know. Um, but this was an interesting idea that I thought could really be a fun way to partner with somebody who I really like. They're, it's a great farm, and I really like their their whole operation. That makes a big difference. That, yeah, so it wasn't like some stranger came up to me stuff. and said, hey, you know. So it was a way of deepening a relationship that I already had that I really enjoyed. So um, first batch of chicks came. I ordered my chicks from Oregon because... Uh, chick deliveries in Montana are really problematic. Uh, As you found out in 2021. <laughs> yep, there's no direct flight from where they grow them to where we need them. Um, so those chicks took an extra day to get here uh, via USPS or whatever. I forget if that, I think that was it, mail. Yeah. And um, so I found a producer, a chick producer, um, Jenks Hatchery in Oregon that only ships, uh, if they ship out of state, they ship them air freight. So you receive them the day they come out of the, the hatchery. So there's no delay. There's no, it's not three days. It's the same day. It's fantastic. So if you order a certain quantity, that, that shipping is free. And I committed to a 1,000 birds, so they gave me a great price on the birds, but then they also gave me the great shipping option, which I was really excited about. So, first batch shows up, just like they're supposed to. Every single one of them lived. It was fantastic compared to other shipments I'd gotten where more than half had died because of the delay Jeez. in arrival. Uh, and away we go. I put them in the brooder. We did have some pretty rough weather that first week because uh, they came in March, and I was probably aggressive on my timing. But again, trying to match up with my partner's desire to have him off his pasture or off his field by September, it was kind of a necessity. So um, anyhow, April 15th. April 15th was a day that changed our entire farm operation, um, probably for the next several years. My, uh, my wife and I, um, her daughter, she's my second wife, so we have children from different marriages. She has a daughter who had a baby in Los Angeles, and that baby was um, placed into foster care because of her inability to parent the child right away at birth. Um, so we were, we did not even know she was pregnant at the time. This is back in September of 2021. And... Um, and once we found out in, I think it was November, we found out she existed, we immediately inserted ourselves into uh, the process of trying to get her to, here to be with us, live with us. So um, April 15th of 2022, all of that work of working with the Los Angeles County Child Protective Services and whatever um, finally came to fruition, and our granddaughter, now 
uh, lives with us as our foster daughter, and we are working toward adoption. So um, she will be our official legal daughter here in probably six months. So because of that change, my wife being our primary breadwinner, um, she does work from home, thank goodness. Um, I had to decide, you know, are we going to do this as a, as a family and, and have this baby in our household? And when the minute I said yes, I knew that I would be a full-time dad. Um, and I knew that that would probably limit my ability to be the rancher, farmer, food producer that I had planned on being. So, um, life being what life is, <laughs> um, we decided to cut back on our production of meat birds and layers uh, because those are the, by far the two highest touch, time, as far as time, um, parts of our operation. And that's where I could save the time to, to be present with her when she's, you know, whatever. Right. So, um, so in May, um, we did maintain our, our customers as long as we possibly could. I put an ad on Craigslist to sell my living um, layers, and um, I got a decent price off of Craigslist. Uh, I was offering them for $25 a piece. They were, you know, between one and two years old, um, laying at full production. So um, they were worth that kind of money. And uh, I sold probably 100 that way, and then I sold the balance to a, another local pasture, pasture-raised operation here in the valley. So we now have 20 chickens, just a household flock that I manage in, every morning and collect the eggs and whatnot. Um, but we are officially out of the... Uh, egg selling business until they come back on um, in the summertime. I remember when you texted me about selling those birds and it was just like such a total gut punch that it was like, I mean, that must have just been a hard pill to swallow. To It was. Um, after building, you know, we spent, mm, we spent about $6,000 on infrastructure for them, the, the mobile uh, coop and um, chicken tractor and the, the hoop house and you know the feed storage that we had purchased all the different things for it um, but the good news is it's not like that's it doesn't have a shelf life I can it'll be dormant until I need it again and you know we've we've already done the work so that's the good news um, but yeah it was a it was a very it was a very emotional for me um, you know I I had left my corporate life to do this work, and um, I had a transition just to do that. You know, formerly an executive, marketing executive, and now I'm a farmer struggling to start a business, and you know, earning nowhere near um, what I did as a marketing executive. But that really didn't matter to me as much as just feeling competent at what I was doing. You know, and it took a while for that to happen. Um, but once it did, it was like, okay, we're, we're good. Now we're going to buy, buy a place and really get after this. And that's how we ended up in Montana in the first place. So anyhow, um, the, it, was a, it was like a replay of all that identity crisis all over again. You know, I, I am a father. I was a father before um, our granddaughter showed up. Got two grown children, so it's not a new concept to me. But 
being a full-time dad instead of, you know, some guy trying to earn a living was a new concept. And it's, it was a rough three months. The first three months were very difficult for me. I went from a pretty social and amicable or amiable dude to really mad at everything. And I think it was, as you said, the the shock, the disappointment, whatever emotions go into that. So, um, as it turns out, um, I turned the corner emotionally, and I have a fantastic wife who knows how I operate um, and was very supportive of me, and we navigated, you know, she, uh, the granddaughter came, she was seven months old when she arrived here, so she was still very much an infant um, with all the typical infant needs, which you're very familiar with. <laughs> and. Yep. Um, you know, so I had to learn all that again, but it's actually been really fun. And she's now, it's almost been, I guess April will be a year, so it's nine months. And uh, it's been a blast. I really, really love having her around, and she's watching her grow. It's a, a different parenting experience than my first my, my first kids. Um, I was a full-time, you know, corporate guy. My wife stayed at home with kids, and I missed most of what I'm seeing now with my granddaughter. It's really a neat kind of opportunity to it's not I wouldn't say make up but just have a different experience new lens yeah totally completely so that's kind of so 2022 as far as a farm uh, we had 15 calves this season uh, which was our first really major calving season we had two calves the first year we, we had cattle which we've only had cattle for I think this is we're going into our third year now um, so our herd grew tremendously. We went. We started out with just six cattle, and now we've got 41. Um, most of those, well, 15 of those, 16, 17, 18 of those were born here on the ranch. So, um, you know, it's a nice feeling to know that you're producing and you're keeping your animals healthy and they're doing what they need to do to continue to propagate and all that. So... Um, kind of nice and we had you know you helped us come out uh, to build some infrastructure we needed to handle that many cattle so we had to build a uh, a corral system and a chute we purchased a couldn't find a used one so we had to buy new um, a squeeze chute and alleyway has a scale in it and all that so we know what everybody weighs it's just it's a lovely system and we just uh, ran our final batch through last night yesterday actually and um so everybody's we got pregnancy checks done we know about when to expect calves which if 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 2022 had a a downside it was you know oops uh we didn't think about how we were going to manage having our own bull and when you have your own bull uh, you need a, either a, a separate corral system or pasture system just for him um, to keep him from breeding the cattle as they open up, or you just suck it up and do what's called open breeding. It's just as they come, they come. And so that's actually what we had to settle on. They just He just bred all of our cows as they opened up, including um, about six first-time heifers, um, so we're learning the hard way that you know we, we're going to have cattle or calves probably in the next week or so, uh, which is not ideal for 
their safety or our comfort. Um, but you know, we have infrastructure. We have a good barn. We have we did plan ahead with straw, and we've got lots of heat for them when they need it, and things like that. So it's going to add some complexity to have calves in the winter, but um, it's not a disaster. And you know, we're, we've actually we're talking about it this morning if maybe this next year we uh, separate our steers and our bull into a separate pasture to keep that schedule how we want it. As for, you know, most most ranches that, that deal in cattle full-time, that's how they do it. They don't even have a bull on the property until they need it. So, anyhow, um, we've made some, you know, first-timer mistakes with things and learned a whole bunch and get to revisit some of our... Um, our experience of like parenting, for example. Um, so it was kind of a mixed bag year and COVID of course didn't help anything. The uh, inflation was rough on pricing for feed and availability of everything. So it was challenging in that way, but you know, um, I also, because of the baby, I decided to resign from several um, ag support I was on three different boards and decided to resign from those I just didn't have the time to be a real good steward of those organizations so um, one was the Montana poultry growers co-op since I'm no longer basically raising poultry it was a no-brainer um, but that was my access to um, organic feed which is how we operated our, our flock Wait, so you're, are you still involved in the Poultry Growers Co-op? I'm still a member, but I'm no longer a board member. Okay, because um, I, when I was here yesterday dropping this off, I didn't think I saw the chicken processing equipment here. I was like, hmm. Yeah, I, I, still, uh, I still am the depot, so the, the, okay. the co-op does rent equipment to folks who would like to do that and process their own birds. Uh, I am still the depot for this end of our valley. Okay. Um, and then there's another depot north of Missoula and another depot over in central Montana. Um, so I've agreed to do that uh, for the time being, but it'll be taken over by somebody in the next, you know, this next summer. Okay. Um, and I was also still managing the feed deliveries. They would come from Great Falls. Uh, we'd buy, the co-op would buy, individuals would put in orders for food. Uh, they'd aggregate that order and then deliver all the folks would, you know, they'd pick their depot, their drop depot, and then they would deliver the food here. I'd use my tractor, break down the pallets, and have everybody's order ready. And now I just, I just don't have the time to do that. So I, stepping away was hard because I like to be involved. I'm a social guy. As you What's can, how we met? Yeah, exactly. And through the co-op because I needed to rent. Yeah, chicken processing equipment. And as anybody watching this video will know, I, I'm a talker, so I like people a lot. And we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, going back just a little bit, sure. when uh, I did come out to help with a little bit of infrastructure yeah. here, mm -hmm. you had obviously <laughs> I, I knew about the situation, and one thing that I brought up to you was like that you had kind of gone dark on social on media. social media, and you had two reasons for that, and maybe there's more, but one of them was you legally can't show 
your yeah. granddaughter because because she's, she, she's technically a foster child in the foster system. Um, they have pretty pretty strict rules about showing her likeness in the world, and I I don't I have my my thoughts on why. Uh, I suspect it's more about safety for- safety for the child, but also the complexities of the parents who may see that. Uh, the, the parents of the child who may see that child in your care, uh, and it can cause some feelings. Yeah, um, I think so, it's a good, good choice. So yeah, I do too. And I, so that was one thing. It was uh, well, number the biggest reason really, to honestly, was I was just completely absorbed with the new lifestyle. You know, right? It's just a complete change of direction. And for the first couple months, like I said before, I was a mess. Just angry and upset and just out of sorts and social media was not something that I prioritized yeah you had told me like yeah I, I, I don't want to show my farm off anymore because I feel like I'm a failure like that's probably a direct quote and I um, that was part of the, the, the difficulty of those first three months of me getting my feet under me as what does this mean for me as a business person because I really, I really was putting about all my effort I could put into making this thing work. And most of that came in the form of finding customers for the things I already had to sell. Um, you know, working with my neighbor or the, the local farmer to partner with him was a really kind of an eye-opening experience. Like, man, I had never even considered partnership that was a really true partnership that we had developed and it was going to be cool. And I was excited about that. So anyway, I was, uh, it's ironic. We knew she was coming, right? We, we knew that barring some weird legal hiccup in the system or Los Angeles County saying something about it, she was going to be here. And I knew that was coming. So it wasn't like it was a blindside surprise, but I think the surprise came in how much how how much was involved in in making that decision to once she showed up the daily the daily work with her which really isn't that bad with the, with the I mean I know anybody who's got an infant at home it's like they're mocking me right now but um, I really didn't find the infant stage to be that that terribly trying for me. Um, like I said, my wife makes all the money. I didn't have to stress about going to a day job, and you know, it was great. Yeah. Um, but the I, again, the identity piece, that emotional connection to what I did for a living, mm-hmm. um, really, really surprised me how difficult that was to to get over. And so, you know, you stop going to the meetings you used to go to, and commiserating with folks who you really enjoy being with and talk and shop like we're doing now. This is a rare opportunity and thank God there's a hunting season because I don't mean we wouldn't <laughs> we wouldn't see each other very much. You're kind of busy. Well, ironically, I don't feel busy because I never leave my house. <laughs> um, but yeah, before, jeez, I was... I'd be gone three or four hours a day, getting, getting feed, delivering to customers, preparing product, packaging product. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come here. Come here. Come here, Tui. Come here. 
You can do it. I can't believe I got that all the way to his bed. Um, so yeah, it was social media was the, the last thing I was worried about, and it did. Uh, I did have those things in my those thoughts in my head, like man. It did feel like failure. It's been nine months now, and I know it's not failure. I decided I made a change in my life. Um, I really have to not care what other people may perceive, sure. because they're yes. not they're not aware of my story, and that's okay. And that's if they if they really want to know, or if I you know, like you you care enough to ask, and that's great. That's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah, it was... Well, you know, life happens to everybody. It just happens differently to everybody. So it's like, you're not me, and I'm not you. Right. Yep. How could I possibly judge you for your decisions? Right. Yep. I think that's an important observation. What I found, another thing I found interesting was you modifying basically the farm work around a baby's schedule. Yeah. How did you pull that off? That's a great question. One of the things I learned real quick, because this, again, was my first time as a daily care provider, like full-time care provider for an infant, okay? I, I knew that they napped. I knew that they have these. They, I know they have these these cycles of sleep and awake that need to be pretty consistent. They need a um, consistency. I guess is the word. So they need that consistency for them to be happy and whatever. And I, I thought that's fantastic. I can actually work with this. So I do go out in the morning and I feed my. I have livestock guardian dogs, as you know. So I. I feed them in the morning right away so they have you know, a full belly to go do their job all day. But if I have to feed my cattle hay or if I have to clean out a, a chicken coop or whatever I have to do with my actual farm business, I usually time it in little one to two hour chunks when she's napping. And it's pretty consistent time frame every day. In fact, uh, it's 3 o'clock right now. She's about to go down for her afternoon nap. And then my wife will be free. She's, my wife's here on the weekend hanging out with her right now, so I don't have to. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was my little aha. Okay, she's a sleeper. Sleeps good through the night. Sleeps good for her naps. I get an hour to two hours twice a day. That makes a huge difference. I'm yeah. sure there's a bunch of people that are just like, good for you, a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> I feel lucky. She's always been a good sleeper. And, you know, she, we, we skated on the first seven months because she showed up here at seven months old. So I didn't have to deal with a brand new baby where nobody's sleeping ever. <laughs> right. Um, We're almost out of that phase. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, she's what? She's how old now? Lila is six months old. Six months, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, those were kind of my strategies to, to make it happen, and they, it's working. I, because I pared down my 
work by not having layers and meat chickens and not having to move everybody every day and haul water across my property and all the things, it was manageable and it worked. So we had a great summer, um, you know, lots of time with the granddaughter um, and all the animals thrived under the conditions. We, for example, we um, last 2021, we actually leased our grazing pasture because we only had six cows at the time. And I was able to, they were able to find enough to, to eat on the winter range up, up here. We have upper lower pastures. This year, 2022, um, we had, what do we have, 27, 26, and um, we needed all that grassland, so we grazed them ourselves down there, And but then that wrinkle was, I need fence work done. I had to get my fences ready, because they're, we, we inherited when we bought the place some fences that were pretty crappy, so... You know, not a lot of fencing you can do in an hour to two hours. So <laughs> that had to be weekends. We had to really think and plan. Okay. To prepare, call for help. To, well, and we did, yes, exactly. Yeah. So we we were lucky enough to have some folks who agreed to help, and uh, some agreed to help at no cost. Some agreed to help for a fee. Um, most of them were friends that I've had for years, and they flew in from California or Oregon or wow. wherever they came from. Uh, and instead of building the addition onto the shop that I've dreamed about for years, uh, we put up fence. You know, so um, it's kind of a little community, you know, happened there. And it was nice, really nice. And we got it, got it done enough to hold the cattle in most of the time. Um, we only had to chase cows, I don't know, once a week. Once a week. <laughs> Instead of every day. We did have one moment where the entire herd escaped and went about uh, two miles away. Uh, but again, because I know my neighbors and I, I have already introduced myself to most, if not all, of my neighbors, they knew exactly what, who to call you know, when they saw those cows roaming around. So... It was good. And they're we, not albino deer. Those are no. They're just giant white cows. Um, yeah. You so. the only guy in the valley that has British white? Nope. There's another person. I have not met him yet, but I've seen him on the side of the old, the old highway on uh, over Stevensville between Stevensville and Corvallis. Okay. There's a couple of animals over there. I don't know if they're year round like we are, um, but they were there this summer. Gotcha. So yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I recognized was that I'm not sure how much thought you put into axing the chickens, your chicken operation and sticking with the beef further than just a daily time commitment. But what I think you're going to find is that you you kept the cattle and that's going to be like you, you have your bloodline, right? So yep. you're going to keep investing in that. Like chickens come and go, obviously. They're very yeah. quick turnaround, whereas yep. cattle are slow. And I think that's, that's well, going to serve you well in more ways than one to get, to I, get the cows and get rid of the chickens. I certainly hope so. That was not without a lot of thought. As you pointed out, uh, we did think that through. And, you know, it's a huge financial investment to even buy six cattle. 
And then we had the opportunity to to buy a dozen more from the same rancher who sold us the first six because he was getting out of the business. Mm. So that was a surprise last year. Um, that actually happened in 2021, but it, it, we finally took them in the beginning of the year. So it was it was uh, a big cash outlay, and I thought, you know, under duress, there's no way I can get what I've put into these cattle out of them at this point. So you doubled down. So it, exactly, we had to go double down and say, all right, we've got 15 pregnant cows. That's 15 hopefully healthy calves. Hopefully half of those are sellable as steers. The other uh, six or seven or eight will be more breed stock. And then we bought the, the, the bull. And anyway, so yeah, we, we, we were kind of in it at that point to win it and thought there's no way we're getting rid of this herd. Um, so, yeah. But you kind of intimated that we're in building mode and we 100% are. We, we have yet to sell a single piece of beef. We have not sold a calf. We've not sold anything from our beef herd. Um, so we are still putting, we're just investment mode. You know, we're in that startup phase where you're paying for hay that you're never seeing the return on. Well, not never, but we're just not seeing a return yet. So this um, this time we ran onto the chute, we finally have a steer who is of a size and weight that we think we can sell and make some good money on. So our first cow, our, I, I make that mistake all the time, I'm sorry. My first uh, animal from the, from the herd is gonna be sold, processed, and we're going to probably sell half of it on a share, you know, half a half cow, mm -hmm. um, uh, just a you know carcass weight price, and the other half we're going to learn about packaged meat. So we're going to have it processed into cuts, and then sell probably uh, beef boxes. Nice, that's cool. So instead of having to you know spend two grand on half a beef, you can spend a few hundred and get fifty pounds of really good choice cuts that you because most people don't have the freezer space for a half a beef right yes um so those customers are harder to find and you don't you don't need they don't need a half a beef every year um i mean some people do but that's unusual so we're, we're gonna process our first um animal this spring once everybody goes on pasture he will not go to pasture he will have a different destination and um yeah. So when you finally get that check, are you gonna um, are you gonna frame it like my first dollar? Probably. I mean, the, the, that is a you know the hay the hay cost is is crazy, and when you when you have forty animals to get through a year or a winter, I had to invest in a hundred a hundred and ten tons of hay. To give people some reference, what was hay prior, and what is when we it started. Now? Well, when we, when we were first in farming, you could buy a ton of hay for 150 bucks if it was low grade, 175 bucks, you know, and now it's over 300. So um, we knew that we'd have to invest in hay every winter because our, our winter pastures, you know, we have, it's Montana, number one, but our winter pastures are not what they need to be. And, and you've you've explained before how you're trying to improve that. Yeah, we're and we're continuing to work on that. That's a many years long process. 
Um, but um, yeah, so um, it's just a cost of doing cattle. So that's that. So we're going to be hopefully recouping a very small percentage of that investment this spring by selling one of our animals. What do they say? The first sale is the hardest? Is that what they say? Well, after that, I mean, you already <laughs> broke the no barrier. It's no, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, true. No, no, yes. True. Yeah. All right, I got that trim bag all cleaned up. Thank you. And you've got some lovely you muscles. Yeah, I'll work on that. Sure. That'd be cool. Yeah. So I know you've researched it. I didn't know you were doing the kind of, are you allowed to say butcher box method? Uh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, what's, the, what's the legalities in that? Because I thought, because if you're the rancher, so how is I, it that you can sell direct? More I can sell direct as long as it's processed in a USDA facility. Gotcha, okay. So, so that's the expense we have to incur. Um, and then secondarily, we'll have to store the meat here in a, what they call a um, refrigerator depot. We're going to have a freezer, and it's going to be frozen. So there's no, you know, must use by dates or any of that crap. It's okay. frozen. So we'll, and it'll all be vacuum sealed, labeled um, according to law, um, which is, I believe, the uh, processor name and address has to be on there. And then because we're we are going to be selling those by the pound, we have to label each package by weight. So um, we will know exactly what our inventory is and what it's worth and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, are you allowed to say who you're going to use for packaging? Um, there's a there's a producer or a, a, a processor new to the valley. They're called Double K Ranch. Um, I sent one of my deer to them this year. Uh, my neighbor has. Uh, sent uh, hogs and uh, goats to them and had really good outcomes. Um, they are a brand new USDA inspected facility for beef and they are expanding. So, Are they a ranch or are they a processor? Or both. They, okay. they are a fully integrated ranch. That's cool. Yeah, okay. so they grow their own beef. They also have uh, Double K Ranch Deli in Missoula that just opened this this fall. Huh. Um, and then they have a charcuterie brand, which I don't remember the name. It may just be Double K Ranch, but I think it's Fifth Season or something like that. It's something to that effect where it's it extends the season by curing the meat. So it's fantastic. They they do a nice product, and they're really happy. And they're they're foodies, so they understand it's not just you know meat in a bag it's how you handle that meat matters to the end taste and the whatever. whole thing could be an experience exactly so super stoked to have found them and um they're they're good people nice. so it's a hump it's almost an hour to get to them but that's for montana that's nothing <laughs> you know it's just down the street basically right yeah, the fact that it takes me 25 minutes to get to your house is like... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So we have, you know, we have a lot of things to learn about that process. And um, it's going to be fun and exciting to, to see what, what we can 
have happened from that. You know, anybody who does beef in Montana, well, I say conventional beef producers in Montana, so the thousand herd animals that sell them by the truckload, they have no interest in our model. I mean, we don't. We're going to have, all of our animals have lived here their whole life. Um, I know where they've been, how they were treated, every vaccine, every medication, whatever, you know. And um, most of those commodity-based ranchers, which they do that because of scale to be profitable, they will sell their animals by the semi-load to a contract buyer who they've already arranged a price. And if the animals are alive and at the weight they promised them at, then they have a deal. Um, and the conventional most, model is so weird. Like, it makes no sense. Well, it, it, it does in a, in a way. And I, I was having this conversation with my wife just the other night that it makes a lot of sense. If you think about growing a, a meat chicken, right? The cost to raise, let's say, a couple dozen of them and sell them, you know, on a, on a chicken inputs level, is the same as any number of chickens you want to grow, 1,000, 25,000, whatever. But the infrastructure needs yeah. are where you get, you get bit. So, um, and production costs, meaning uh, processing the birds, right? Mm -hmm. So you can work your butt off, and you're, if you're going out there to feed 100 chickens, you might as well go out there to feed 1,000. Yeah. It's going to take you just, it doesn't take you 10 times as long. It just takes you an incremental amount of time, and you got to figure out what that is. And I'm certainly not the first person to think of this. There's a million YouTube videos that cover this very well. Um, Joel Salton not being the, the least of them. So, anyhow. I guess I was talking from a standpoint of how much cost the rancher has in the cow, like, and the, by the time he gets paid, well, cost in time. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about it to know the super detail level, but every time I do a farm or did a farm tour here, I would explain that you know people would ask me how how do you do this? How do you sell? I'm like, well, we haven't sold any yet, but our plan is you know as I just described to you earlier. Unlike most ranches, which never sell direct to consumer, some do, but not not all. Most don't. They most are here in the valley or commodity based. Um, and they just raise them until they hit 600 pounds, and then they go on a truck for a buck 39 a pound, or whatever the price is, and they get a giant check at the end. They don't have to overwinter them. They don't have to doctor them. You know, I mean, they do. They doctor them if they need to, but keeping them for from birth to seven months old, eight months old, nine months old is a much different process than raising them for three years. So... Where but, do you think the know your rancher kind of mindset or movement came from? Came from? Yeah. Like, how did that start? Just like people re like kind of woke up and were like, there's so much junk in this meat. Like, well, I want to put eyes on where it comes from. And I wish I could remember. Well, okay. I remember from this is me personally. I mean, I I'm not some industry expert okay so i have only my experience to draw on sure i remember watching the movie cowspiracy yep okay i've seen it it's frustrating but i've seen it and not surprisingly i lived in california at the time 
I worked for a fast food uh, company that had over 500 locations, and we were selling the lowest grade commodity products you could possibly sell for as cheap as we could possibly sell them. Okay, so it was a double hit for me. I learned a lot about. I mean, Cowspiracy is a documentary. So first thing you got to know is documentaries are always they're always created with a mission in mind. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to create some reaction in their audience, which, you know, I knew that. And I I was raised in a certain culture that said, you know, um, progressive ideas are better than conservative ideas, okay? And I, and I, I liked that and believed that for a long time. Um, I don't think there's better. I think they're just different. I'm laughing because that's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, you don't know how you're raised until you kind of get distance from it. Right. Yes. Um, so, anyway, um, Cowspiracy hit me hard. Like, wow, I had no idea that cows were so despicable and were ruining the climate. And, oh, my God, if we could get away from meat and geez wouldn't that be a great thing now I didn't go vegan but I did cut out beef I think it was our meat five days a week I I went down to two days a week for meat Hmm. well my physiology and my biology does not like that (laughs) so I only lasted about three months I I toughed it out for three months and I thought I was doing you know somebody the unborn children of our future a favor um, by making this personal sacrifice. Well, my biology said otherwise. I said, no, dude, you need you need to have some meat in your diet and um, a pretty fair amount of it to be, you know, happy. Um, so I stopped. But that's how far it went. As I, I took it that far, I'm going to work on these. Sure. Um, oh, is the rest of the meat yes, under the camera? under the camera. Ah, shoot. It's okay. We'll fix that. That's okay. Um, there's work to do here. So I don't know if that movie had affected other people like it affected me. I don't, I don't know if that was the first time anybody had put numbers to the, to the question of, hmm, cow's fart. I wonder what that does to the, you know, whatever. So, um... There were some interesting ways of thinking that I took away from that movie. Sure. Which were like, oh, I didn't really think about the hidden things like transportation costs and, you know, talk about water. One of the biggest things they talked about was, you know, 50 gallons of water, whatever the hell the number they threw out there, to make one hamburger. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I can get my head around ideas. And I was like, wait, okay, so most people would immediately just, just dismiss that. It's like... How heavy is a hamburger? It's what, a pound at the most? And you're going to put 400 pounds of water in a hamburger? How does that even work? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I got what they were saying, right? I understood the idea that the grain that's used in the feedlots costs, you know, in the processing of the meat and the growing of whatever. I think it's all slanted bunk at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we use truckloads of water to grow our pasture. But you know what? We're going to use truckloads of water to grow our pasture, whether there's cows on it or not, because that's just the way nature works. Rain comes out of the sky. It runs down the creek. It if you falls. want your soy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're growing. 
But I know that if you want to put, put numbers to it, you could probably argue that cows have a certain you know, cost that, that growing vegetables doesn't have. Fine. Fair enough. I choose meat. That's the end of my... <laughs> and now you own cows, and Bill Gates is going to come take your cows from you. Uh, Bill Gates needs to know where I live first. So I, I'm not worried about that. I don't, <laughs> I don't trade in conspiracy. Um, I, I really like. Don't suck my fun from me. No, I really like data, and I really like, I really like the ability to think around a problem. Um, and you know, like I said, I was, I was compelled enough to, by the, by the information they were sharing in that movie, that I went, hmm, okay, sure. And it wasn't without like, oh, I'm blind allegiance because I'm some sort of lefty liberal person. It's like, no. It actually makes kind of sense, you know, that cows, we had feedlots in Southern California and we'd go drive by them every summer and it's just the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Thousands and thousands of cows crammed on these little tiny lots living in their own filth until they're fat enough to kill and put on a plate. It's like, okay, it's gross. One thing that, so I visited California, we took a, we went to Sequoia. Yeah and whatnot, and driving out of L.A., I find it ironic, people from California telling other people how to manage their water when they're like the worst ones at managing their water. Every yeah. orchard and everything I drove past, like water, like there was just so much runoff that, yep. and like you just throw it in like a big concrete ditch and who like just gets, uh, it's, it's so wasteful. Yep, it's silly. So that's one of the reasons we chose Montana. I, I still consider myself left-leaning from a attitude standpoint. I don't necessarily, I think, our uh, political divide has gone way, way, way too far. I'm on everywhere. Everyone's just, just <laughs> if you're not exactly like me, you're, you're wrong. It's like, okay, well, that's not how I believe. So um, I like Montana because it's sort of leave-me-alone state. And... Which there aren't a lot of those anymore. There's, you know, we don't have neighbors looking over our fence telling us what we can and can't do. Um, regulation is pretty light here. Um, there are rules, you know. USDA has rules. That's the federal government, of course, but you know, I think safety in food is a requirement. And I think it's reasonable that we follow certain guidelines when it comes to how we provide the food that other people will eat. I think if you want to eat roadkill and uh, straight up, I'm, I'm going to make some people really pissed by saying this, but you can put whatever you want. That's like the whole vaccine thing. It's like, whatever, do, do you do you, except you're not going to kill me by eating raw milk, okay? You're not going to hurt me or my family or my children by you personally consuming raw milk or choosing to process your own chickens in an unsanitary manner, you're probably going to hurt yourself and that's fine. That's your prerogative. But, you know, and then it gets real slippery when you start talking about things like oh, yeah. the pandemic and, you know, I get personal liberty. I totally get it. I have it too, dude. <laughs> personal liberty does not end at your personal space. It continues way outside of you. And other people have it too. So where do we draw the lines there? And that's where I just like, oh my God, it's so complicated. It's ridiculous. I don't think you should have to get a vaccine, but you know what? 
I don't think you should also be able to run around and infect me. I remember I lived through the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. And that well, was, that was engineered. We know that now. <laughs> okay. I'm, okay. We can talk about that later. That's great. So <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, lived through the, I lived through the AIDS epidemic, and the same mentality was there, except it was them. It was the other person who had it, the disease. And the whole idea there was lock them away. They shouldn't be allowed to participate in sports. They shouldn't be allowed to communicate or talk to people who, you know, they could possibly infect. And they should be locked up in these sanitariums where their disease can't hurt me. How is that different than a highly communicable public pandemic? It seems like you still have AIDS. So I don't really think that worked that well. It didn't work, but that's not my point. Oh, okay. It's not that we got rid of AIDS. It was the whole idea of there was a segment of our, of our society that said, oh, you have this disease, we need to lock you away. And you are a problem. But when everybody gets it, all of a sudden personal liberty is more important than keeping other people safe. That's my point. The argument changed. The same people arguing the opposite point, which is typical of our society. If it's not, it's not my backyard. So it was an interesting dichotomy from us older uh, generations of folks who've been through this before that um, the double standard is strongly out there. It kind of seems like because of people feeling one way or another, all you can really do is what's best for you and know your circle of control and influence. Yep. You're, you're out here. And, you know, personal liability, if I were to mishandle a firearm or a car or my lawnmower and I hurt you, you have recourse with me legally. What about a person who walks out into public knowing that they have not been vaccinated against a disease? They get that disease. They transmit that disease to others because they chose not to take the precaution. Are they liable? Should they be liable? Can we prove it? No. Should they be? I'm not, I'm not saying I have a position on that. I'm just throwing out ideas here. <laughs> Food for thought. So anyway... complicated and that's the answer to my 2022 question you're welcome <laughs> thanks yeah happy to help um how's that conspiracy podcast coming along uh we haven't done a single episode <laughs> so i was the only one that was into it that anymore and so that made it hard to do yeah. but uh so following up what's so you're looking to sell one steer yeah, we're, we're going to start with one steer because he's the only animal that's ready to go. Sure. He's of the right size. Yep. You're going to, I mean, you're going to have to take the first bite out of him, right? Actually, we, we've had that conversation. What we're doing right now, we're harvesting a deer, right? Yes. Our property hosts lots of deer. I put two deer in the freezer this year, and I actually was able to put an elk in the freezer this year. That's more meat than our family can use in a year, so it allows me to gift it and whatever. But I don't know 
that I need to eat my own cows because they're worth more to me to sell than they are to me to eat. You're gonna need to do the first one though. Just, just, just a little steak. Just, just a little one. All that money, all that time. Well, you're gonna have to try it. We may have to judge. The, okay, so that's a solid argument. Judging the quality of the product you're selling, that's fair. But on an ongoing basis, we are not gonna be eating. You know, oh, we've got so much beef. It's like I like hunting too much. I'm, I can't justify putting a cow in the freezer and deer in the freezer. That's just too much meat. So I'm willing to sell them my beef and that's fair. hunt my deer. I, I really, my wife was surprised. She, we, I didn't hunt until we moved to Montana, so she was very surprised um, with how much I love hunting. <laughs> I was going to say, you're kind of a nut about it. I kind of like it a lot. So, um, you actually told me on the same vein, the liking hunting, that you actually like fishing more. Well, you just for f do it less. I've been fishing for 50 odd years, 50 years ish. Um, some of my best life memories are from fishing trips or experiences being on a river, you know, seeing wildlife I'd never seen before or you know, just time spent in a boat with family, friends, whatever. Um, yeah, fishing was my first love for sure. And is definitely still there. I love the gear. I love geeking out on all the, the stuff. Um, the terminal, the tackle and whatnot. You know, I, I came to Montana in 19, I think it was 1996 or seven, um, for my job. And ended up fishing the Blackfoot River. Oh, cool! Um, and with a guide, and it was June, and it was uh, snowing on us in June, which I thought was marvelous. It was just a novelty coming from Oregon, where it almost never snowed on us. And this river is running chocolate milk, and so we're fishing the salmon fly hatch, which is this epic moment of the year. And I caught three fish total all day. The river was way out of whack. Um, I mean, the guy on the on the oars was just working his ass off, and he could barely slow us down. <laughs> and we're fly fishing, of course. So, from that one experience, I, in my mind, put a pin in Montana, Missoula, and said, "I will live there someday, somehow," because that's how much fishing meant to me at the time. That same day, driving up and then back from the river, I saw my first moose. I saw my first bighorn sheep. I saw lots of elk and uh, mule deer and white-tailed deer. Maybe not white-tailed. I know for sure I saw the mule deer. But I, I, anyway, I saw so much wildlife. I was like, holy cow, this place is amazing. The first bear I'd ever seen in real life. That wasn't in a park? All that same day. I'm like, this place is incredible. So, now, fast forward, what is that, 20... Six years later, I've lived in Montana now four years. I still don't live in Missoula, but I, not that I need to. Now that I know a little bit about the space, I don't need to live in Missoula. Right. But I have proximity to all those rivers, and I, you know, our river, Bitterroot River, is right here. We had a 
2022, on the darker side, we did go fishing um, in July. I took my raft down the river. And I won't get into the details for duration, but we, had to, we ended up having to get rescued. And that, I haven't been fishing since that day. And, I was going to ask, are you going not, to go fishing more this year than yeah. last year? My goal is to fish more this year. Uh, we have a, a pond right here outside the house with a bunch of rainbow and cutthroat trout in it. They are now of a size that we can catch them. Um, so my plan is that maybe I start ice fishing this next month or so and see if I can catch them there. We've already caught a few of them. Do you want um, one of the front quarters? Yeah, I'll take one of those. So anyway, it's, um, yeah, fishing's for sure my, my number one love, but hunting, man. When I, when I, this morning I woke up, came in here, made coffee, looked out the window and there's 200 elk walking by. It's like, that's kind of a cool moment. Just kinda. Just kind of a cool moment. Just kinda cool. Um, that's not even to mention the eight or 10 white-tailed deer I could see bouncing around the pasture, you know? So anyway. It's just kind of cool here. Yeah, it's okay. It's a cool place to live. Front quarter. Okay. Scapula. How much? We still got to do all yours too, huh? Nope. I'll do mine. What? That wasn't part of the deal. Well, you can, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. I'm not worried about that. I was looking forward to... Well, we can we can go grab an elk bin if you want, but I'd like to... I, now that this is cut up, ready to grind, we can either grind we it today... We can break up the flow. We can grind and then get into whatever's next. Okay. What's, um, got any other plans for 2023? Uh, 2023, let's see. Do you ever go on vacation? We did, uh, we lived, when we lived in Butte, we went for our, um, four-year anniversary, we went to Florida Keys to go fishing, and then, that was awesome. I'd go back there in a heartbeat, I, my, I think that's my fourth or fifth time there. Didn't it get wiped out by the late hurricane? Or is that something different? That they, they may have. I mean, area. lots of the spaces, yeah, they, they do get like hammered. Sanibel those, and those hurricanes wipe them hard. So I don't know. I, I haven't really kept in touch with... Okay. We, um, before the granddaughter showed up, we actually had planned to go to Central America on our next what? anniversary for fishing. Any specific... Costa Rica. Costa Rica, nice. Um... Yeah, my wife wants to catch a sailfish, and I know how to do that for her, so I can do that. I mean, we could go to Florida and catch sailfish, but I'd rather go to Costa Rica because I've never been there. The fishing's incredible down there. So, you know, back to the fishing. Yeah, fishing is a thing for me, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. But that's a no to vacations, cause really, I mean, you don't have a farm. You don't. Is it hard to find a find a farm sitter? Mm, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. We have family members who have told us they would, they would love to do it. Um, it's just, do I have faith that they won't kill all your... <laughs> well, I'm not worried about them killing the animals. I, I worry about blowing up the relationship over, oh, over a bad experience. That or, is a you know good what I mean? point. I think that's understated. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're family. It's not like... I don't, I don't assume family is going to stick around forever. I mean, I, I have a sibling that I basically don't talk to anymore. So it's not... That's uh, a potential reality that I'd rather avoid if I can. So anyway, uh, we, we had a very small farm in Butte, uh, and we had twice we went on vacation there. And it was fine. We went for a week both times, and it was pretty low touch. Some dogs, some chickens, and some sheep, and that was it. Um, cattle, or if they're on summer pasture, I, I probably would never leave in summer. There's no reason to leave in summer. It's gorgeous here. Um, we'd probably go in February. And it just depends on if we can get our calving schedule dialed. If we can get the calving schedule dialed, then I can get away and not have a bogey calf show up in February. Um, I might do it. I might consider doing that. So, yeah. Sorry, I was just remembering what you uh, told me yesterday about the cow that was just like not, not delivering, not delivering, not delivering. And then you go and inspect her and it's like, She's just fat. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't as pregnant as we thought. Um, so that's one of the reasons we do the pregnancy check is you actually palpate them and figure out, okay, how far along are they? Um, which is very, very helpful to ease your mind. Unfortunately, it did not ease my mind. It freaked me out because we have some that are going to have babies any day, which, as I said, started out, we don't want that. Um, but it is what it is, so... We will retool next year. I think we're going to build our bull, his own pasture, for him and the steers. So they have a dedicated space to not breed the cows until we're ready to. And then, theoretically, we could... I mean, honestly, I don't... The vacation question is a great question because at this point, I really don't feel like I'm that stressed. You know, it's not like I You're need settled to, in now. I don't need to go recharge every year or whatever. I have things I'd like to do. You know, like I said, go fish exotic places, and I've got all the gear. It's just a matter of packing it up and getting there. Um, that's fun, but I don't consider us wealthy enough to just drop everything and disappear and hire a bunch of ranch hands. And You know what I mean? It's like there. It's kind of... A different show, so it's a, it's. I don't know. One thing somebody said that I could do with farm hop life was um, would be a farm sitter, and I think I. That's a great idea. I didn't really give it that much thought prior to. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll just be there, but it could be. Like a... That's actually a pretty damn good idea. Full... It, that could have by to, itself. You would have to have a very credible resume and yes. references and all that. But, shit, I mean... I, it's funny because people let people watch their kid, 
you know, they're basically strangers. It's like you hire someone to watch your kid or, you know, I don't know. My kid's way more important than my ranch. Right. Like you kill a cow. All right, well, um, you know, how are you? How do you feel about working that off? Because <laughs> that's how we're going to do this. Um, but also things happen. So it's like, I don't know. I would not be irresponsible and leave during calving season, let's say, put it that way. But I might leave during a season where I felt like there really isn't anything other than feeding and watering and keeping them in the corral. Right, for your own peace of mind. and Yeah. But also, like, to, to be present during those intense times, like, that's kind of the whole thing, isn't it? That's like, the point, sort of. Right. Yeah. Like, no, it, it, I, and I can't do it while it's hard. Like, well. Right. And I'm not sure you should be doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, the ranch or farm sitter, interesting. I mean, it's not that, yeah. So I, I keep vacillating between the term ranch and farm, right? Same. Um, probably. You mean for yourself? For like, myself. Like, is this a farm or is this a ranch? Probably for myself more than anything. Um, and the only reason I would go with ranch is because we have cattle and it's Montana. Sure. Um, anyway, the idea of... Do you have large livestock, or are you talking chickens, pigs? I mean, I guess pigs are large, but they're not—they're not cattle. They're not going to bust out your fence and disappear three miles away, which I experienced that this year. As I said, that's quite jarring and quite stressful. Um, anyway, you know, your ranch sitting ideas, like or farm sitting ideas. You know, do you have limits on what kind of animals you're willing to do? I think we'd need, like you said, the experience, we would need to build that up first. But, like, that was kind of the whole thing of just doing it to start with. It was like, look, we, we like this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to learn more about it because we're, like, we're very new to homesteading. Like some people have been doing it 20 years. We've been doing, like, three. Sure. Uh, and, you know, there's... So I'm, I'm like looking at some some private like telegram like chats that mm-hmm. that I'm invited to, and some people somebody will throw something out, and the guy someone will be like, oh yeah, let me check, let me check one of my books, and he comes back like an hour later. Oh yeah, that's uh, this and this such and such in my experience, da 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 da, and I'll like. I'm just blown away by the knowledge. I'm like, I don't even know what that thing is that you're even talking about. Yeah, don't even know where to start. How did you spell it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot we don't know. Sure. And uh, just wanted to learn. Yeah. Talk about uh, 2022 changing things for yeah. as far as, uh, excuse me, as far as projections. Mm-hmm. For the following year, um, t- t- taking that job starting starting in December—that's a weird time to start a new job. By the way, yeah, no, I've all my job trends or career shifts all happened in November and April, what? and it was pretty consistent. And I don't know why that happened that way. I don't know if there's like some seasonal. Uh, malaise that I would get and let, start looking for a job in oh, December and then by April I have a new job. Getting a little job. antsy and... 
I don't know. I don't have no idea. I haven't mm -hmm. analyzed that, but I was every time I'd go fill out my resume or whatever, you could just look at the dates and be like, "What happens to this guy in November and in April?" That's he moves around. That's how you keep it interesting. You don't get bored. Yeah, I guess. So the new job. The new job. Um, Chapter three. The new job. <laughs> uh, have I told you what it is the company does? Sort of, but go ahead. I, they I, use fiber optic cable to sense temperature, acoustics, and strain or stress that could you would find underground. Interesting. And so the division that I'm a part of is environment, environmental and industry or industrial. Um, so my very first field assignment was down in Louisiana and they're doing a carbon capture project. And so what they need us for is to, where they go to put the carbon into the ground sequestered and they need to make sure that it isn't it isn't going anywhere there's not they're not, it's not sliding around or anything it goes where they put it with the pressure of the, like the right. when they pressurize it and everything that it's not fracturing the rock and escaping somewhere else okay that's what our our stuff does cool and so um i'll be going to alaska for a little bit here soon and they're doing Methane, sulfur, I don't remember. They're doing a different kind of sequestration. See, see, I'm getting tripped up on that word. Okay. Um, but sequestration. Okay. They're doing a different type, but it, the principle is the same. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of nuts. It's kind of a crazy job. So your job is actually what? So as a field engineer, we have to go take these, these what, what was sold by the sales team or the general manager or both and install it in the field. Oh. And so like they're these are like computers or big specialized wi wires computers. that go into the ground the, or whatever. The fiber optic cable can be up to forty kilometers long. Okay. <laughs> and depending on the system, you could get a data point every meter. So wow. you have forty thousand data points. Wow. Per, and, per like milliseconds? Uh, it, the, the timings depend. I mean, if you're sure. doing per mill, I mean, you, the, the system is capable of doing that, but that is a ton of data. Yeah, like right. We, yeah, you'd be talking megabytes of, or not megabytes, terabytes, like terabytes yeah, of data. We, we have many terabyte raids uh, wow. on, like in the field so okay. that. And you're working by yourself? We have a team you work with? We have a team. Um, it's usually in pairs. Okay. At minimum, and so, that's manageable with pairs, or do you would three people be more helpful? Or so, in in Louisiana, it was just me and another guy. They sent me to learn. Okay, it could have been done with a single guy, but they wanted me to learn, so I went down there. Okay, up in Alaska, we it's it's right next to like roughnecks in you know like well drilling. Yep. And so 
if you've ever seen the show Ice Road Truckers. Yep. So Dead Horse Alaska, mm -hmm. that's where I'm going. Okay. At the end of the Dalton Highway. And so we have to work right along. When we get our cable installed, we have to work right alongside these roughnecks and do shift change the same time they do to minimize any downtime or any safety. Disruption, whatever. Yes. So we're going to be doing pairs from 6 a.m. to uh, 6 p.m. and then do a shift change. So Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Kind of nuts. And then so the, is, the it, is it work that you're finding within your capability, or are you learning it so much you're like, oh, my God, I'll never get this? There's so much to learn. I'm a... I, I work with some very smart people. Sure. The, I mean, the people alone that even figured out this technology is one thing, and then the people that are expanding on it is, are, are also brilliant. Um, and so I had a, a training session with one of our geoscientists in the office last week, and it was like a total mind melt of, of information. that Because we're talking about properties of light and like how it, yeah. what the data does when you hit it with a laser like or what an electron does when you hit it with a laser and how the data interpretates that and so mm -hmm. thankfully for the most part the field engineers don't need to decipher the data right. we just need to get good data yeah and then the geoscientists can figure out what that means wow yeah it was uh i was really stretching my my capabilities and it uh i was i was telling my wife so we have these, we have these smart books. That's what we call them uh, okay. for my son, two and a half year old Milo. Yeah, <laughs> we call them smart books, and there's a series of like fifteen of them. It's like Newtonian physics for babies, quantum information for babies, and blah blah blah. We've read them to him a hundred plus times, right? He, sure. he loves them. And I'm not gonna lie, I had to use some of that information in those books. To be able to have a conversation with one of these geoscientists, but you know what? Yeah, whatever. I well, it's it not work. like you're going to learn that in high school. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the average person may not. Maybe reflection versus refraction. Uh, you should learn in high school, but that's the, yeah. Th those days are long gone for me. <laughs> I don't remember a lot. Yeah. But I could hold a conversation and ask good questions, and that's what's important, right? Good. Who cares? Right. If you understand how it works. To, at a basic level, you you should understand how important your installation process is, then, you know, because you're kinking of, of whatever, breaking a fiber band, or I don't know yeah. what all these things are, but yeah, huh. interesting. Well, that sounds like an exciting opportunity. I mean, it's very rare that you would get an opportunity to, to be paid while learning something at that level. Yes, uh, everyone else there has a college degree. I am the only one that does not, and. They, they, they don't, it was in the requirements right. to have a bachelor's, and I asked. So it's my buddy who asked me to apply, and I denied him twice before. Yeah. Before actually considering it, because I wasn't looking for a job, I wanted to do the twenty by twenty three project, and um, we got. I was like, eh, whatever. Well, well I applied, yeah. interviewed. They denied me the first time. Um, but they were hiring a second one, and let me this up here. Is this the last of it? Oh, no, here's my other front quarter. Yeah, there's another I was front peeling quarter. your pieces off here, sorry. Oh, I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, so I applied, got the job, and it was just like going to try to figure out how to do both. Okay. Both the job 
and 20 by 23 project. Okay. The, I, because I didn't hear anything, like I, I knew I didn't get it the first time and honestly kind of forgot about they were hiring another yeah. one. I just assumed that that was it. Yeah, wasn't you missed gonna, your opportunity. Missed my opportunity. I applied, gave it my best shot. Yeah. Uh, didn't get it. And then we were, we were, I was like, well, if we're going to do the 20 by 23 thing, we need the travel trailer. That's like the whole point is truck and a trailer. That's, yeah. so we, we found one that we liked. If we were careful, my truck could tow this specific one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found it down in Utah, had like, I wasn't, their financing sucked. And so I found our own financing and like, we were, we're like gonna pull the trigger. We had a talk one night, like, how are we, okay. If we're gonna do this, like, how are we gonna do this? Okay, so this is another $200 a month. Like, where are we exactly. gonna get where are this? gonna come up with that? Where are we gonna get this money? And we had answers, but none of them were very good. They were just like, eh. It could work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, um, we were also kind of getting, uh, I don't know, uneasy about the future of the Airbnb market because that was the other portion mm -hmm. was Airbnb being the house to sub basically subsidize and pay for yeah. the, the mortgage, the mortgage, the whole project. Yeah. Well, the Airbnb market here just took off like crazy and now everyone has one mm -hmm. and prices are just going down. So there's two things. One, everyone has one, so there's more supply. And because there's more supply, um, drops prices. And so it made it less doable. Like in a good market, the plan would have worked. But now we're like, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily getting cold feet, just that the prospects weren't looking as good. Yeah. And so uh, we're like, all right, we're, we just got to go for it. Let's, let's buy the travel trailer. And the next day, the job offer came in. Oh, <laughs> like, that's great. I mean, like, it was, I, I honestly consider it like a sign. Yeah. Sign from God. Like, you're, yeah. you're going to want to take this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether you know it yet or not, you're going to want to take this. Mm -hmm. And so I called... I called Katie after I got the job offer because it was weird. My my buddy and now my boss texted me. He goes, Matt, check your email. Well, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> right away, I knew something was yeah was up. And so I, I texted all right, texted Katie like a screenshot of the offer letter. I just go F F F F. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we talked for like half an hour. I'm like, I kind of got to take it, right? And she goes, You don't have to take it. But Maybe. you kind of have to take it. But you kind of have to, yeah. You kind of have to take it. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. And so uh, I, I accepted. Yeah. And so then it's changing, like, for the next, I don't know. Perceivable weeks, future. Like, I was trying to figure out how could I, how, how can I have my foot in both rooms? Yeah. I, the answer is I can't really. But I'm, I'm. Uh, moving the goalposts okay. as uh, for the 20 by 23 project to visit 20 homesteads in the year 2023. Mm -hmm. I'm shifting that to be local. Okay. And that's that's my solution to that. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully 
I can do it again or better the next year or mm -hmm. the next year or mm -hmm. so I'm because it's still I did like a whole video and an entire podcast of like you know explaining all, all yeah. this I'm like it it's it's it kind of sucks because it feels like I'm throwing in the towel by accepting this job but you know what uh, also two months in the NICU over the summer yeah that also sucks and set us back quite a bit so there's there's a lot of catching up to do there and this is I, I didn't want to feel like I feel like I made like these promises you know like and they're not like major promises. It's just like, but this is a thing I'm going to go do. Yeah. And if you can't keep, and like not, not obviously not too many people know about it, but the ones that do, you'll be like, what, what yeah, happened, what happened that? to that? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, cool. You're kind of a, you're a grifter. And like, that is not something I want to be. And so I got to. Well, I mean, if people are funding you, that's one thing. If, that's true. If your life changes and shit happens, like, well, you know. But I, I can appreciate the shift. I, I totally appreciate the impact of a of an unexpected shift, as we've already discussed. Yeah, life happens. Yeah. Hmm. Well, did you, did you end up with the travel trailer? No, no. Oh, you it canceled was, it. We okay. uh, we decided. I I still wanted to get it, but my wife made a really good point. She's like, we don't know when we're going to use it, though. It could just sit. I said, yes. But then we, like, if we can go somewhere, we have it. She goes, let's just wait. Let's put money aside like we own one for a bigger down payment or... Or you can rent a bitch in one. <laughs> Seriously, just rent one. That's true. Rent one for the one time a year you go and then save the other, you know, whatever thousands of dollars of payments. I mean, That's true. It's an idea. That is an idea. That is a good idea. Why own when you can rent? Um, well, for something like that, I mean, it's it's like I argued about getting a second car here. It's like, uh, do we really need a second car? Well, I'd like to get one without that doesn't run on gasoline. That'd be great. I'd love to have an EV just because, of, you know, gas prices were going fucking batshit this last year. And I thought, well, wouldn't that just be a nice little F you to the oil cartels so we did it we put money down on an EV and totally forgot about it because it took I don't know 11 months or something to get here <laughs> and then they finally called us and I was like oh man do we really need a second car so and now you have one and I love it you might as well just tell people what you got because it's pretty badass oh it's a Mustang Ford Mustang Mach-E um, not the California edition. You're welcome. Oh, I, w I wasn't aware that there was a... Oh, yeah, there's a California edition. What's that mean? It's just sort of their super deluxe version. They sell more of them in California than anywhere else on the planet, so they made a really expensive version for those folks. And um, it's not just like California emissions. Like, you know, you ever watch Price is Right? You always... Uh, probably not. Anyway. I have seen it. Dating myself there. Um yeah, California emissions is a is basically a, a standard that if you buy a car in California, it has to meet certain emission standards because of the number of cars in the area. Sure. Well, obviously an EV doesn't have to qualify for anything because there's no emissions at all. But 
they still made a California version of it, which has some extra bells and whistles for the like speed control and cruise control oh, okay. and interior package and stuff like that. So we we got just a straight up normal everyday human version. You should modify it and make it the Montana edition. There you I go. I don't know how you do that. Put some off-road AT tires on it. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Lift it. Yeah. Jack it up. Put a trailer hitch on it. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Fly rod. Oh, yeah. I do plan. I actually have... The, the challenge with an EV in Montana is, of course, there's very few charging stations. We have one here at the house, of course, so... It stays charged whenever it's sitting here, but the range is somewhere between 200 and 300 miles, depending on what accessories you're operating in the car at the time, you know, heater or whatever, because um, it all runs off of the battery. There's no, you know, your heat source is not your engine. It's actually an electric heater. So wintertime, your range is shorter than summertime. And I was kind of fantasizing about ice fishing. Like, I need to go ice fishing. and be great to take it. I cannot find a route <laughs> to where I need to go that I wouldn't end up dead out of power and hitching a ride home. So I'd have to take the truck, which is fine because the truck is really more suitable for all the shit I have to take, my um, sled and all electronics and stuff. But it was a fun exercise. It reminded me actually of taking the bus when I was a kid like, where does that bus go? Oh, that one goes there. And then you have to take that, transfer to that bus to get over there. And then you end up at your destination two hours and 25 minutes later. I'm going to date myself. Mm -hmm. Never had to take public transit like that. So I did it in Europe when I was like, you know, traveling. Yeah. But never domestically. It was just like, take the bus to the state fair. That was it. Never. From the parking lot. Yes. <laughs> It was more exactly. of a shuttle. Yes, it is exactly just the shuttle. Yeah. And that was it. So. Well, you, I mean, did you live in the city? Did I live in the city? Did you live in a big city? No. Minnesota, right? A uh, suburb, yes. A suburb. But did it have buses? Yes. Oh, okay. So you were just, from the minute you became a mobile teenager, you just never took the bus? Yes. Really interesting. Well, we had a, my, we were middle class, and so my parents I got my first vehicle that I borrowed from mom and dad was a red minivan with white wall tires. Yeah. It was pretty badass. Wheels are wheels, man. Freedom. Yeah. Yep. I, I was a single mother household, so I didn't have... Middle class was not my thing, but we uh, rode bikes everywhere. That was our freedom. We... I bought myself a bike with my paper route money and um, got around Eugene, where I grew up, pretty well that way. And then one of our friends got a car, and that was that ended the bikes. A, a new level of freedom. No, it didn't end them, but it just made the bikes daytime only. You know, we, sure. didn't, we didn't have to ride them in the nighttime to get yeah. to your girlfriend's house or whatever. We did ride some bikes for the, you know, mm -hmm. you know, around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I had a good buddy that I'm still friends with on the other side of town. But that was still like a, I don't know, 20-minute bike ride. It wasn't like 45 minutes in your friend's house. Mm -hmm. 
and we had bike paths all over the city and bike lanes, you know, our own bike lanes. This is back in the, I guess it was the 80s. They were a pretty progressive town, and they had uh, bike paths along the river, which was the best, fastest way to go from one side of town to the other side of town. You just ride down to the river and then take a right or a left, and you'd be, you know, it was just this lovely, and I'm being a fishing kid, I mean, I spent all my summers down there. Strap my fishing rod to my bike and head for the river. Nice. From the age of about 12, I started doing that. But that's like, you know, 1979, different era. Is that kind of messed up that even kids growing up in that same area just don't do that anymore? Like, how do you feel about that? I hope they do. I don't know. I, I, I mean, a 12-year-old going out there doing that kind of stuff? I don't know. Now? It just depends on, it depends on the kid, I think. Um, and what they're doing. Are they out there just being bored, causing mayhem, or are they actually going someplace? Like, I'd go to this little canal all the time where, the, where I would go fishing, and I'd just sit there, and I'd, I'd be there all day. And it's not like I'm riding all over, you know, putting hundreds of miles on my bike. A bored teenager, or, you know, 20-something, not 20-something, preteen, um, just out ambling around like looking for something to do uh i think not and i you know being on my bike i was on bike paths almost exclusively so it's not like some guy's gonna come up with his rapey van and kick me into it you know what i mean i do know what you mean <laughs> um but there was a moment in i think it was like 1976 or 78 something like that um, that there was a guy who escaped from our local jail. Oh, geez. And his name was Carl Bowles. I'll never forget this. And I don't know what he was in jail for, but he's, it was probably something, you know, it was bad enough that, like, murder or child molestation or something, that the whole city pretty much went on full lockdown. And Whoa. I, I was, when I was in grade school, my mom, so I'm, it's, I don't know, I'm eight, nine, ten years old, the city bus stopped right in front of our house. Huh. Because, right. it, because the city bus at that time in the town I lived in, there were no true bus stops. You, okay. just, you just stood on a corner, and oh. it, would, it would stop for you, or you pull the bell, and it would let you off at the next corner. Okay. So every corner was a stop, bus stop, which was, you know, great. Yeah, it is. So of- it would stop literally in front of my house, and I'd get, out, get on the bus, and the buses worked on these loop systems. So we, we lived on the Lincoln Street Loop, and that also went over to, I think, like Chamber Street Loop or something. And so it, the bus would, st- you know, if I get on the bus here, or go downtown, it would turn into a different bus. I wouldn't leave the bus. It would change its sign, go drive around this part of town, come back, and then complete the loop back to my house. Hmm. It would take about an hour, hour and a half or so. My mom would give me a dime, which is what the bus cost. And I'd pop my dime in there. She said, sit behind the driver. And I'm like, okay. So I did. And that, the driver was like your mailman. He got to know me. He got, hey, Joe. I'm like, hey. Wherever Max or whatever his name was. And um, I'd sit behind him. And I'd ride the bus for an hour and a half. My mom needed a break. 
That sounds nuts. It is nuts. Now, now you'd never do it. But then it was like, yeah, I don't know. I think the world's not as unsafe as people make it out to be, but still, I just I don't know that I put my ten-year-old on a bus by himself. I mean, like, I mean, she, she didn't do that without training us. She, she took us on a bus. She showed us how it worked. You know, I'm just saying. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Anyone doing that is yeah. putting their kid on a bus to, like, to occupy them. Yes. Well, that was way before VHS. I mean, existed. So it's not like you got a sure. SpongeBob video you can just pop in for your kid. Not like anybody's watching SpongeBob. I just dated myself there again. Probably. No, it's still going. Is it? Yeah, twenty plus years. It's like really? the, it's like the new Simpsons or something. I don't wow. Know. It's like Simpsons, South Park, and SpongeBob is longest running series or something. I don't know. Hmm. I just made that up. But okay, I'm, it, I'm not going to fact right. check you. That sounds great. It sounds right. I remember turning my kids on to Spongebob when they were little. Like, oh my god, this is hilarious. This is grown-up grown up comedy and kid comedy all in one box. <laughs> yeah. I, I worked with a guy, and he had like a... He would... I mean, he was like in his mid-40s back then, and he would like reference... He'd have like Spongebob references, and I'm like, you're a little old to be watching Spongebob. And he's like, Matt, I've been watching Spongebob for like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> with my kids. Like, yeah. So, that's about all I know. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I am old enough to be, to have memories of sitting in the theater, watching the very first Star Wars film five or six times, and it was life-changing, as you might expect a kid to say. To this day, I still, like, I can't, any time to watch it, I'm like, yep, yeah, well, let's watch that. This sounds great. I think a for a lot hope. of people, it must, it, the only thing I can come back to because I do not have that love of Star Wars, sure. even a little bit. Sure. I think the only thing I can come back to, and I've we, I've had this discussion with other people, it it has to be the nostalgia. I think that's that's what makes it great for like in having like lasting power. I mean, the movie's fifty years old by now. Almost, it's forty five. But yes, seventy seven, seventy eight. Uh, I was ten. So what is that? Seventy seven. Yeah, forty five years old, mm -hmm. and it's. Still, people are still nuts about it. So, the thing that you have to understand is the time in which... Now, again, I get it. There's, there's a, oh, it's cool, throwback kind of vibe when people of today's era glom onto it. I totally agree. I don't understand why anybody who wasn't part of that original launch would give a shit about it. Because it really, I mean, it's a fine movie. It's just, it didn't have the impact. The impact was, un, I, I can't overstate how mind-blowing that movie was to a 10-year-old. And my mom and everybody who watched it was like, whoa. Sure. So, I don't know. It's... I'll give you two, this is where I'm getting my, my opinion from. And I'll give you two examples. One of, one of these guys is currently 40, and the other one is currently 25. Thereabouts. And neither, so neither of them are qualified to talk about the original. Exactly. So the guy that's 40, let's start with him. They re-released it in theaters. Right. And he went with his dad. Right. That's why he likes it. Okay, that's fair. So, there, yep, there's definitely a nostalgia bit. He's with your father having some parental interaction sharing what your dad loved to do, 
But that's the same thing as like, my dad used to drink Pabst Blue Ribbon, so now I drink Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's garbage. Why? Why would you do that? I mean, if you had a good relationship with your dad, like then... Or the beer company. (laughs) Or the beer company. Um, So then the other, the 25-year-old, almost the same story, his dad would put... He liked the movie, and so he would put it in the uh, VHS player, and he would watch it with his dad. It was one of the first movies my son watched, like theatrical films. Yeah. There wasn't like Sesame Street or, you know, something like that. When he was old enough, I'm like, we're watching this movie. And he likes it. He's a sci-fi kid. But I think sci-fi has to be in your DNA to begin with to really appreciate it. Have an sure. But... The the thing that I struggle with now is is like everybody else, like oh man, the band sold out, whatever. They're no they're no good anymore. They were better as a garage band. Well, Star Wars when they got bought by Disney, yeah, it's like there's a new movie every year or every six months it, or yeah. fucking I don't know whatever. And it's like I cannot get into that. Yeah, I tried to like being just like a not even it's not even a Fairweather fan. It's like just a observer mm-hmm. of the franchise is like I, I try to get, watch the new ones and I just I'm not I will tell you Rogue One the best one since the original actually since uh, Empire Strikes Back Empire Strikes I Back was the best of the first three and Rogue One is the best of all of, all of them I mean I, I think it's one of the best films I couldn't even tell you which one was Empire Strikes Back versus the other two. So the, <laughs> yeah, right, right, no, that's fine. I can't differentiate. That's fine. Of them. Just um, the uh, Rogue One is important to me because it's the prequel to the first film. I was going to say, yeah, that and one I think was okay. It was. I the ending was, was kind of weird for me, but yeah. But if you're if you have the memory of A New Hope, the first film, and the whole idea that they got this information about the Death Star from some somebody who was there on the ground. They, you know, it sort of obfuscated how they got the information in the film because it didn't exist then. It was just, you know, George Lucas coming up with an idea. Yep. So then, 45 years later, or whatever it is, 40 years later, okay, we're going to write the story of how they got this information. Sure. I just could not. I gobbled up the concept, but I'll tell you right now, Felicity Jones and um, dude, the, her dad, the guy who plays her dad, I love those two actors, and I thought, man, they really killed it. I did not like the, I don't know, the... Star Trooper guy? No, he was the guy who played her dad in the in uh, Rogue One. He He worked for the Empire. He was the scientist who designed... The Death mm. Star. That, sorry, I thought you were trying to think of the other main character in that. Oh. In that show. Movie. Oh, uh, Andor. Or not, uh, not Andor. Um, what the fuck's his name? Anyway. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan. When we got Disney Plus, I was like, oh my god. So I can watch the movies whenever I want. Like, I heard how great The Mandalorian was. So I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. No, I can't stand that. I 
You might be the only Star Wars fan that doesn't like The Mandalorian. I don't like it. I don't think they did a good job producing it. I think that production values suck. I got bored very quickly. Yep. Uh, it's way too slow. I um, Doesn't go anywhere fast. I, uh, yep, I watched two episodes, and like, I, I think I get the gist. I, I suffered through um, Obi-Wan, the Kenobi film. They did a version or a series. Yep. And I'm like, okay. I like, uh, I can never remember his name. Ian McGregor. Ian McGregor. I like him a lot. He does a nice job. But that whole movie is just like, or that whole series, I'm just like, yeah. He's very, very not Jedi in there. It's not like there's some, it's like taking the Lone Ranger or something, some equal, you know, hero, heroic character, and then showing them working at Walmart and working their way up to becoming <laughs> Lone Ranger. It's like, I, no, I don't care. I don't care at all. But, you know, they got to make a billion dollars this year on Star Wars, so got to do that somehow, I guess. Boy, that, uh, that cow is past milk, huh? Yep. But you're going to keep watching whatever they... Yeah, I'm loyal. I'm, I'll, I'll try it. What I don't watch at all Oops. are the animation. I do not watch the animated stuff at all. I have no, no patience for that. Why is that? I don't respect animation. I mean, with the exception. And I, it, probably because I have no idea how difficult it is to do. I mean, I can imagine how hard it is to do. But it's like video games. I was first generation video game, okay? Yep. Literally, Pong. <laughs> we played the first video game. And then video games got more complicated, and then it was like, okay, I kind of lost psychological. Well, they got the the it it wasn't so much a video game anymore. It's like it's a it's a live action role play. You're you're in a film. You're watching somebody do something, and you're choosing. It's like, and then the controls are so specific. If you don't jump and punch and fire at the same time you're never going to get past this moment and i don't know i just i just lost interest in the whole industry because i'm an old fart and my son is completely 100 percent in on video games he's 30. hey what are you doing uh there where are they there were two pair here. Mine may be in my bag again. Hers were, oh, over there. On the top of the table, I think. Right there. On the little. I moved, they're in the corner. I can see the, the strap. <clears throat> so I got something that might blow your mind a little bit. Okay. So I went to school for electronics, right? Okay. Um, much different than being an electrician, which I got, this, which was before now. But but you're talking like motherboards and stuff like that. Yes. Okay. Inter integrated uh, circuits. circuits, blah, blah, blah. Yep, yep, yep. I, I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I found somebody had done a reproduction circuit, like circuit board of Pawn. And so, like, they, 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 you know, reverse engineered it, and the chips are, like, 
they no longer make, and so they had to find ones that would work, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I bought the kit to do it myself. So I bought, you know, it's, it's almost the size of this mat here, this yeah. purple mat. Yeah. Came with all the chips, resistors, da-da-da. And I, I soldered it all up. And what I wanted to do, and I, like I, I got close, but the execution was just a little bit off. I built a small like arcade cabinet for it. Yeah. And so like I bought on Craigslist, I bought like a little TV for mm -hmm. like 10 bucks, put it in there. I, on the backside, I had, I had the motherboard and even put like a little like LED strip lights in there so that you could see yeah. the, the, cool. um, the board and everything and had like buttons and I had a, because it was, I guess it wasn't buttons. It was, it was a dial. So I had Pong has two player, dials. player yeah. one dial, yep. player two dial. So and I had, had a red front. button for restart. <laughs> I don't even think I have that much. That, that's what the original it, but, game. Um, but yeah, I, tr I tried to build this whole cabinet and like the aesthetics of the cabinet. Because I, at the time, I really had no idea what I was doing. And like, it just looked bad. And so I ended up just tearing it all apart. And, oh. But I kept, I still have that circuit board. So oh, interesting. If, uh, if you have a tube TV, uh, we could play pawn because that's the output i do not have a tube tv but those can't be impossible to find i mean i guess we could get an adapter but i don't think it trans i i honestly don't think it translates well the the output yeah of this uh it's like an rca cable yeah i'm sure but um yeah like rca cable exactly but yeah that that was just like a little small piece of wow. something i did um, 10 years ago maybe wow yeah, it was that was mind blowing when that when that I was a Cub Scout. I was a little, I think I was an eight or nine year old Cub Scout when or my friend got that game. His dad was a, I thought he was like some computer genius or something. He probably worked at Radio Shack, you know. <laughs> and Back then, that meant something. It did. Um, and he came home with that, and we were just we sat there and we'd have our entire den meeting was be just us taking turns playing pong. Just silly. Well. Not everybody starts out playing like Dark Souls or whatever is yeah. Call of Duty right now. It's like, well, I tried. I tried when my son. So we had a rule in our household that screen time was a pay for you pay for play. It was any screen time in our house, you were going to pay for that. So Back then, that's actually. So this is the nineties. This is from nineteen ninety six to two thousand twelve. Let's say, and he. Uh, he would we, we would give him I think we gave him twenty dollars a month, so five bucks a week in allowance for participating in household chores and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, keeping his room tidy, whatever, going to bed on time, got you know whatever. Just there's just sort of we didn't have a real hard fast how you earn it. It was just these are the expectations of you being a kid in our house. Sure. So you got five bucks a week allowance and then you could use it for whatever you want it's your money you use it however you feel he because screen time was so important to him screen time was a quarter for an hour it was a good deal we didn't make it exorbitant so you could theoretically get 20 hours of screen time in a week if you have all your homework done and screen time was not allowed on weeknights, so really it was just weekends. And we also Cram twenty hours of screen time in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, so he would try, and we we're like, no. So we had to change that rule. It's like, okay, no more than two hours in a row, and 
you have to take a four-hour break, all this bullshit. We just made a bunch of fucking rules to make it harder. Because <laughs> we didn't want them on screen. Changing the terms. We live in Southern California. It's like, go outside. Yeah. Go outside and play. You've got bikes and toys and trees and friends, and just go play. So he, and, if you, and we did not supply video games. It was just television at the time. Oh, you want a video game? Well, save your money. So that further compounded his screen time limitation because he started saving his money. Then his friend got a PS2 to replace his PS1. So my son saved, I think it was like 70 bucks they wanted for this PS1 and like 40 games. Oh, no. And he bought it. He got it for like this crazy cheap deal. He had plenty of money because he'd get a big chunk of money at Christmas, a big chunk of money at his birthday, which were a week apart. And then he had his savings, his allowance. He bought himself his shortcut at it. He did. That's funny. And he saved up enough. So then he had to fund his, not only did he have to fund the machine, he had to fund his use of the machine. But again, he was smart and it taught him about money. Use, save money to do the things you want to do. My daughter, she'd get money. She'd immediately burn it, and she'd be out of money asking us for, you know, whatever. It's like, well, no, this is how this works. Anyway, so Jameson, to this day, has been a video game junkie. And I I don't think he ever fantasized about working in the industry or anything. He's a materials engineer. Mm. Um, He's a... That's actually his major materials engineer, materials science. What, uh, yeah, materials engineer. Anyway, so, um, but he still to this day plays video games like crazily and builds his own computers now to play them and all that kind of stuff. So I applied and got in to do video game design down in Florida, like go to school for it. No kidding. I. I was like laying in bed one night. This is like, man, I already, I already had dropped out at one point. Like one point, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this is something. I don't know. Sure. And I was just like laying in bed one night, and like, I don't know. There was like a weird, like something weird came over. I'm like, this isn't really where you want to go. And oh. so I just never went. Huh. Like I don't. Could have been like. God speaking to me, like, you're not going to, where I need you to go, or right. where, yeah, I don't know, however you want to cut it, but mm-hmm. it was very odd. Hmm. So I stayed, I stayed in Minnesota and didn't go to Florida, and I think if I did go to Florida, I probably would have never ended up here. Oh, I imagine. No reason to come to Montana when you have all of Florida. God, I'd, this I'd, would have been early teens. I can't imagine how bad of a fishing addict I'd be if I lived in Florida as a kid. Jeez Louise. There's just fish everywhere. I mean, every drainage ditch has fish in it. <laughs> you could be homeless I and still be fish. very happy being homeless and fishing as a teenager in Florida. Except that the um, humidity that is and bugs. And hurricanes. Well, yeah, there's that too. I interviewed a guy who was homeless. Man, I forget the state he was homeless in. I want to say it was Georgia. And his 
he would, you know, had off and on contact with his family for like the last like 15 months or whatever. And finally one of his, one of his family members was like, we, we pulled together some money for you. Like just come home to like North Carolina or something like that. Yeah. Like weeks later, like a hurricane hit or something. And he would have been like dead. Dead. Yeah. That's great. It's, that was a crazy story. Yep. How far did you get on your stuff last night? I didn't touch it. Oh. I, I haven't touched any of my stuff since I showed it to you yesterday. Oh, okay. No. That's why I was just like, we'll get this done. Katie done, ended done. up helping me with the with the fat last night, the pork fat. I'm oh, trying. yeah. That's a pain. I was willing to just like, I, I did not expect her to help me at all. She was like tired and just like ready to go to bed. And she like finished up, uh, you know, cleaning bottles and stuff like that. And she grabbed a knife out of the block and sat down and I was like, oh, hi. Yeah, look at that. So we were watching like Amazing Race. That's one of our, mm -hmm. one of our stuff that we like to watch together. Boy, there are some good people to make fun of on, on that show. <laughs> have you ever, have you Never ever seen, seen it? it? Never seen it. It's for people, if you like travel, it's pretty good. Uh, there's, um, oh man, there's a girl on there who has like, neon colored dreadlocks okay. like that go all the way to her knees on the show and she's a motivational speaker and she calls herself a mer fairy okay I'm, I'm not even kidding sure like what i don't even know what that is a and mermaid like, fairy i guess but i also don't care but she is like she's like you know will it into the universe type yeah um, yep. you know yep. And but anytime anything gets like remotely difficult, she just she starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. You've never really had to do anything hard. You're a motivational speaker. Yeah. Or a life coach. That's the other one. Like really, life coaching. Tell me about your life that you've earned the privilege to coach other people's lives. Yeah. Do. I, wait. Do I want my life to look like yours? Ooh. Not yeah. Really. Give me a no for me, dog. Yep. Never. So what? what is the premise of the show? Uh, so there's like 10 or 12 teams. I, I don't know. For how many seasons I've watched, which I think is almost all of them, you think I'd know how to play the game and all that stuff. Oh, right? it's an actual game. Yeah, so there's 10 or 12 teams and partners that you pick. I think one year they switched it up. But anyways, it's like... A lot of people, it's like husband, wife, or best friends, or father, daughter, okay. that kind of thing. Okay. Um, you start in a location, and you have to make it to other locations around the world, and there are challenges along the way. So, like, they were just in Austria, and so they had to do a yodel. Amazing Grace or Amazing Race? Amazing Race. I thought you said Amazing Grace. <laughs> I'm like... Okay, I've seen The Amazing Race. We applied to be on that show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We, we tried to be on the show. Okay. I Sorry. Thought, I, I, no, I'm like, Amazing Grace. And they have to do all this on the goodwill of strangers. <laughs> they have to convince strangers to pay their way around the world. That's Amazing Grace. <laughs> that could be a new thing. <laughs> Sorry. When did you apply to be on the show? Oh, back in the early 2000s when it first came out. We were like, oh my gosh, my wife and I would do great at that because... 
she's yeah we were very ambitious and fit and young and would have been fun we would like to do it like because the challenges look cool yep and uh but at the same time you're you're moving so quickly that you really wouldn't get to appreciate no that country but again you get to do some pretty cool stuff yeah like one of them they were in like norway and you had to climb like a tower of pallets to mm -hmm. something something i don't know hmm. bungee jumping skydiving right. whatever mountain climbing when my kids um one year we had a halloween party for the whole neighborhood and we did uh, fear factor oh that's cool. kids version of fear factor oh my god it was so fun we had a, a big ga one gallon glass jar, you know, like a cookie jar with a lid and everything. And we put a hundred crickets in there. Live? And a, yeah, and nice. a bunch of poker chips. And they had 30 seconds to pull out as many poker chips as they could. Because, I mean, and these are like crickets. As soon as you open that lid and stick your hand there, they're jumping all over the place. Live crickets. Of course, they don't bite or anything. Right. It's just, it was just awesome. We made gross foods, like um, a bloody eyeball jello dish that was all, it was like gummy, you know, gummy yep. eyeball. And we, we cooked, we set it inside this thing and they had to eat that. And we had all kinds of physical challenges where they had to like walk as a team across something and I don't know we never they were never in any danger there was never anything truly gross it was all psychological warfare on these kids it was so fun <laughs> and the parents that came it was like they're sitting there in their you know beach chairs on the driveway watching us torture their kids and they're just loving it drinking their beers watching their kids cry <laughs> Good. And we had some, you know, like a $50, I don't know, Del Taco gift card or something for the grand prize, because that's the company I worked for at the time. I'm going to have to cut that out. It's funny that you, I had, I went to a Halloween party that wasn't as cool, but they did do like the foods, like you could eat brains and stuff right, like that. Right, right. And I was nowhere near as adventurous as I am now. Sure. Uh, I barely ate anything. I, I ate the most, I don't even remember what it was, but it was the most mild food uh, that they had there. And yeah. Okay. So we can transition immediately to grinding if you want. Sure. Or, Let's get it. or you can set this. Do you have a freezer big enough for these? I might. No. <laughs> if I took, if I spread these into three, we dump this in the trash and spread these into three, like something like this, we could freeze these and then come back in, say, what would it be, Tuesday? So today's Sunday, right? Yes. Come back Tuesday night and grind it. And we could make your sausage, but we could grind it right now. I just, I'm concerned about the consistency of the muscle. Like this stuff here, this whole muscle mm -hmm. is just going to mush through. It's not going to have the consistency that I think you expect out of a sausage. Okay. 
Um, I've never made sausage. I've only ground the meat. I've never done the actual sausage preparation assembly. Okay. So I don't, I don't know some recipes. I've watched plenty of YouTube videos on how to do it. And like some people say you should mix your seasoning in with the water if, there's, if they ask for water component. And then you're not trying to make dry seasoning touch all the meat. You know, you're, you're, the water carries that flavor with it. Okay, that's, that's a good point. That's or, good to know. Yeah, I had the same thought. Like, hmm, that's actually kind of smart. So. <clears throat> uh, let's go for quality. I like it. So let's. Do you have use for this? Dog. Do you have a dog? No, do not have a dog. Okay. Any interest in that trim? Uh. Are you going to give it to your dogs or I'm your gonna, house flock? I'm going to I'm going to put it into small Ziploc bags and freeze it for my livestock dogs. Sounds good. Okay, I bet. Okay. Um, so let's do that. Let's put this in here. So, do you want me to take the 15 pounds of pork fat back to my house? If you have a place to freeze it, that'd be I great. I can put it back in the freezer. Okay, good. Somehow. If you put it in a smaller, like, gallon Ziplocs and then lay them flat, like I showed you that ground beef yesterday. They are already flat. Oh. They're in quart and flat. Okay. And I'll also grab my scale, and then we'll know exactly how much meat we're, we've ground here. Because I'm guessing these are somewhere in the neighborhood of, this is about 45 pounds of meat, I'm guessing all in hopefully we can get to 50 because then you can just use two pouch two pouches of seasoning and yeah. you're done so this is lovely this is lovely looking grind very clean there's not a lot of this which is going to be very clean um, we'll take some cellophane i'll get that out i need to drink water i'm parched all that talking I'm drinking a mimosa energy drink. <laughs> I like a mimosa. It's Sunday. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mimosa Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in fact, what I mean, it may just be as quick for me to get it out and grind it for you. But if you want to be part of the process, I won't do that. I absolutely want to be part of the process. Okay. I want to see how the sausage is made. Well, I would do it. I would grind it and then oh, I just, see. just grind it and I let, see, then I let see. you do the sausage to your liking. Cause you're right. The recipe of sausage is a very particular thing. I, so this, Seal off the air and keep it moist. The Amazing Race. I didn't know that show was still on either. 34th season. Wow. Yeah. Is it on network? CBS, I think. Oh. I cannot remember the last time I watched a network that wasn't a sports event. We don't have, I don't have television. 
for the shows that we do want to watch, I find a copy online. Like, there's... Oh, yeah. There's plenty of sites out there that... Yeah. Thankfully, you don't have to torrent stuff anymore. Right. That became a chore. God, I, I was in a... My, one of the dads I knew, he would rent a movie, and he had his whole, like, that way, yep, hot is up, straight up in the air. And it's not that hot. Um, he would rent movies, uh, DVDs, put them into his machine. Mm -hmm. He had a decoder somehow. He was like some tech wizard. Probably worked for Radio Shack. He had a decoder. This is when I was an adult. And he, he must have had thousands and thousands of films at home that he owned on DVD because of that. Huh. He, you, this is when you could still rent them. Like, you go into Blockbuster and rent a movie. Which, that's a foreign concept to you, too, probably. No, I... Did that you? Was, that was still a thing that my parents did. Okay. Friday night, let's go get a movie. Dude, and swing by and grab a pizza... The best Friday night ever. We were a Pizza Hut household. Oh. Domino's was not uh, not our jam. I think it was just because it was the closest. We had local pizza companies. We never went to the commercial, the big national brands. I couldn't well, tell you. Again, California. No, no. I grew not, up in Oregon. Oh, well. Even I grew up worse. in little, little Oregon, little tiny Oregon city. And it was like there were two. There was Papa's Pizza and Pietro's Pizza, and those are the best. And all these other pizza companies are like, you know, whatever. Two things. Meat. The meat lovers. The only reason I knew about Pizza Hut is because they have meat lovers. There you go. Meat. Look at all that. Let me get my scale. I'll yes. get it back. I'll find out how much we got there. And that's where we had to stop the recording because Joe's granddaughter walked into view and it was getting late. Must attend to our families after all. This was the first half stop in achieving our 20 by 23 project. I say half because I don't feel like I actually helped him much. Although he loved getting all the cutoffs for his dogs and chatting for a while, but I know I'll be back again this spring or summer. Thank you for watching, everyone. Leave a comment, like, subscribe. Most importantly, share this video. You can check us out on all your favorite podcast players. Visit our website, farmhoplife.com. Sign up for our email list or Telegram channel to be notified there when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. We are on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Email me anytime, Matt, at farmhoplife.com. I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you would like to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, go to farmhoplife.com slash guest and fill out the form. Go feed yourself. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started. Farm to help and to wander. 
send us a message and there 